Amen. All right, check this out. He was not only known as the morning star of the Reformation, but his actions so enraged the Roman Catholic Church, listen, that 44 years later after his death, they actually dug up his bones, burned them, and then threw them into a river. He's been dead for 44 years. But anyway, but listen what he did. He was born in a, a factory village in Yorkshire, England in 1330 AD. And as he grew up in that area, he eventually began to teach at Oxford there in England. And it wasn't long before he began to know some serious problems with the Catholic Church, such as immoral clergy, excessive church wealth, and once again, unfortunately, saying that you have to work your way to heaven instead of relying on the work of Jesus Christ. And, and even that the priest or the pope could hold back your salvation if you didn't do as they said. This guy had had enough. And what happened to make matters worse, over 100 years earlier, the Roman Catholic Church deliberately ordered that all copies of the Bible were to be kept in Latin, which was the language of the ruling elite. So that meant if even you and I, a common person uh, who only spoke English, ever even came across a copy of the Bible, you still couldn't read it. So what did this one Christian man do? Listen to this, Mara. He, he not only began to denounce the authority of the Pope and insist that Jesus Christ alone was the head of the church, not some fallible man, but he also became the very first man in church history to translate the entire Bible into English so that the common people could read these amazing truths and be set free for themselves. And as you might as expect, the Roman Catholic Church didn't like it. So they condemned him and his views, and they threatened him as usual. Uh, but that didn't stop him. Soon he founded this group. It's kind of like a early advertisement group, listen to this. They were called the Lollards, okay? Lollards were a bunch of poor, simple Christian preachers who evangelized and preached this man's ideas based out of the Bible in English uh, all over England. And even though most of these men, the Lollards, died horrible, gruesome deaths at the hand of the Roman Catholic Church, it is believed if they didn't make their incredible sacrifice that a Reformation uh, nearly 100 years later would never have been born because it was the work of the Lollards preaching the gospel at the cost of their lives, that softened the hearts of the people to make a reformation even possible. This one Christian man who looked at the ruling religious elite in the face and said no more, his name was John Wycliffe, okay? Now folks, I don't know about you, but I'd say John Wycliffe had a pretty cool life as a Christian, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's awesome, isn't that, isn't that what we all want, okay? Well, once again, that's the problem that we see today, even though God's the same God and we're just as much his children as John Wycliffe is. I mean, most Christians today, what are we doing? We, we read the Bible in one hand. That's great. Praise God. We look at our lives in the other and we're going, hey, what's going on here? There's a disconnect, right? It doesn't compute. Why isn't it matching up? How come these people like John Wycliffe, they get saved and they have this amazing, fruitful walk with Jesus Christ. And here I am fumbling around in the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I get a life worth giving up, right? That's American Christianity today by and large. Okay, but once again, folks, this is the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life, a life worth living for, like John Wycliffe had, being used amazingly of God, one person, yes, one person, is available to every single Christian. So once again, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Go ahead. Okay, and that's why we're going to continue your study, a life worth living for. Okay, now what we're doing is we're taking a look at the different keys, I believe, scripturally that are pivotal if you and I are going to have what's available to us, an amazing walk with Jesus Christ, just like John Wycliffe. We saw the first six times the first key to having that life worth living for is when you and I experience God's joy. Now we saw the good news before. Jesus not only saved us, but he left something behind for us. He gave us his joy. Awesome joy. Why? Just so we can stand around. It's all about us. No. So that you and I can be those joyful examples in a joyless world. Like a moth to a flame. Everybody's looking for joy. But only the scriptural joy is lasting and true and beneficial. And we got it. 
okay, if we live it, okay? The last six times we saw the second key uh, uh, to get that life worth living for is how do you experience God's peace, okay? And there we saw the good news. Listen, man, this is like icing on the cake. Jesus not only gave us his joy, he also gave us his peace, okay? Unfortunately, the enemy knows that. And he also knows how a powerful witness that is. When you and I as Christians, the world's wigging out, woo! Even the end time events and what's going on geopolitically, oh, the economy, oh, right? We walk around still in peace. We don't put our heads in the sand. We don't deny reality. We know this. We're informed. You need to be informed. But we have the peace of Christ. That's a powerful witness, okay? And the enemy knows this, okay? Now, last time he, we saw he, he, he tricks us. He short circuits the peace of God. It's already there. We already got it just like with the joy. And the third one we saw last time was a misplaced focus. And this is all he's got to do. He gets us to buy into this lie, this false teaching called self-love, self-esteem, and tricks us into thinking somehow, contrary to the Bible, that true, lusting peace and contentment, which is peace in action, can come when you love yourself more than God, more than other people. Uh, you're more concerned about your needs. You come first in all things, and you develop that center of the universe itis. Anybody have that here today? Don't move. Oh, dude, you're, yeah, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It's a long day for you. We'll pray for you. Let's move on, okay? And it doesn't work. Hello, because it comes from Satan. Satan's all about self, self, self. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, okay? He's not the path you follow to get peace. You do what the scripture says. Jesus said the first thing, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, right? You get more concerned about God, the things of God, and other people. In fact, you even get to the point where you think better of people than yourself. You do that. It's a paradox in the scripture, granted, but you do that, you're going to have God's peace, on a regular basis. Get your focus back on God and other people, not you, okay? And you'll have his peace. But that's not all. The enemy is slick. He's called an enemy for a reason. The fourth way he tricks us into short-circuiting the peace of God is by getting us to have this attitude. Remember her? She was so grateful for everything. She was a wonderful child. Remember that movie? And she's, oh, thank you, Daddy. I'm just so grateful for this little morsel of toy or this thing of what? No, do you remember her? Anybody want to do an impression of her? There you go. Get up for a kid. Thank you. That's right. All right. I got to have it. My way. Me, my, all right? Okay? That is not the attitude you need to have if you're going to. I wish I had that on microphone. If you're going to have God's peace, okay? You need to have a biblical attitude. Not a misplaced attitude like that. A biblical attitude. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. This is awesome. Philippians chapter 4. Paul tells us, okay? Here's the attitude. If you can maintain this every day, I didn't say it, God did. If you can maintain this attitude, not the other one, every single day, you're going to have his peace in action. That's the word content, remember? That's peace in action. Okay, and now as you turn there, once again, remember the context. Paul's writing this when he's on vacation in the Bahamas and he just inherited $4 billion. I'm sorry, wrong Bible. No, he's in prison. So that, that adds to the amazingness of his statement. Okay, but he tells you, listen, when life doesn't go your way, you ever get into a prison of circumstances, Christian? It doesn't matter if it's a literal prison or you feel like you're in a prison with your circumstances. Here's how you get out. Here's how you have peace in the midst of it. Okay, this is what Paul says. Verse 10, here's what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this. Listen, he's in prison. Listen to what he says. I'm not saying this because I am need. What? Paul, you're in prison. And this is one of those prisons that doesn't come with all the amenities and workout rooms and cable and all that other stuff, with all due respect. As we saw before, most likely it was just a hole in the ground. They dropped you in it, and your best buddy was called a rat. 
or two or three or a bunch, right? Hope they didn't eat your toes while you're trying to sleep at night on some straw. What? I mean, this is horrible conditions. And what's he say? He says, uh, hey, thanks for, thanks for thinking about me. Thank you for, you know, this gift. I, it's awesome. But you know what? I'm okay. How many guys would like to have that attitude? Yeah. But here's what Paul says. He says, listen, he didn't get this at the store. You can't get this at Walmart. He learned it. It means it takes time. And we need to learn it too. He says, for I have learned to be what? Content. What's that? Peace in action. Whatever the circumstances. Now, before we go any further, how many guys would like to have, this is what the scripture says. I'm not making this up. How many guys would like to have God's peace on a regular basis, no matter the circumstance? Because isn't that the game we play? When things are going great, I just feel Jesus is awesome. But when things don't go the way we want them to, what do we do? I want a golden goose, or however you said that. I don't know, right? We get that. It's what? Paul says you don't have to live like that. You don't have to be up. You don't have to be down. You can experience God's peace on a regular basis no matter what. Anybody interested in that? Now listen, he tells us how to do it. This is, this is what I says. It's right here in the scriptures. This is all we got to do. And you don't have to buy it. It's free. Whatever the circumstances. Hey, listen, I, know, I don't have my head in the sand. I know where I'm at. I'm in prison. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, peace, and action in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Here it is. I can do how many? All things, everything through him, Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. Now, before we go any further, before I bust into it, how many guys realize that sometimes we quote that text, and it's true in that context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? But we kind of have this mentality like, I'm going to grow up to be that super Christian. Da, 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 da. That Superman Christian. I, I can do all things through Jesus. And, and that's true. But what's the context there? The context that Paul makes that statement is when he's having some serious privations. He's doing without. He's in prison. Not for going through a red light or robbing a bank. He's preaching the God. He didn't do anything wrong. You ever Christian Sometime God has you someplace and you go, I didn't see that one coming. And it wasn't even because you were sinning and getting disciplined. You were doing that was right. Then Paul says, listen, it's not about the context of that passage. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is specifically when things don't go the way you wanted them to go. But it's okay. I can do this through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Okay, it's not just the super duper thing. But anyway, but Paul says here, he says where true peace and contentment comes from, it's not in how many things you have in life, right? As the world would say, okay? It's not what you have. It's not what you don't have, uh, the plenty or the lack. He clearly says it's, hey, as, as mind-numbing as this is and as obvious as this is, and we say this all the time, it's in God no matter how many things you have in life. This is the biblical attitude, the antithesis. To, I can't do it again. Louder. Okay, see, it's the opposite of that attitude, right? Okay? <laughs> and that's what's going on. Paul had peace in the midst of this. Why? Listen, because here it is. Listen, he was willing to accept less than what he was due, and he was appreciative for what little he had at that time. Because God will have you in some high times, plenty. You ever had those times, man, life is good. I'm eating steak, right? Three weeks later, honey passed the bean. Right? You're gonna have high times, you're gonna have low times, right? Right? But here's Paul's attitude, it didn't matter. That's not his focus anymore. He, 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 I was willing to accept less than what I was doing, and I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for what little I have. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. And you gotta think about this attitude because this is Paul. This is the mighty apostle Paul, right? I mean, here, here comes the church finally. 
come to his aid after all he did in his missionary journeys, he could have exerted his entitlement, what he is rightfully due. This is the amazing Apostle Paul, and you owe your very existence to me. You better come to my aid, and come to my aid now. I didn't do anything wrong, but you better get over here and take care of my need. He could have had that attitude, but he didn't. He says, hey, thanks. I really do appreciate this, but you know what? I'm doing just fine, because I've had the breakthrough finally. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter how life is anymore. Doesn't matter if I'm in prison, out of prison. Doesn't matter if I mean a steak or a bean. I'm free. Isn't that awesome? That's what the scripture says we can have. And so, so here's the point. I mean, surely that's what we're doing. We know if we're going to experience the peace of God, i.e. be content, okay? Peace on a regular basis. We're doing what Paul says. We're willing to accept, Christian, less than what we're due at times and appreciate what God's already doing. Because did you know that God knows how to provide for us? Anybody got some food in your gut? Once again, praise God, you got clothes on. Okay, serious distraction. Uh, right? <laughs> and you had a place to sleep last night. Life is good. Aren't you content? What more does God got to do? It's awesome. You can have his peace. And so that's our attitude, right? No. We get sucked in by the evil one. We don't have this biblical attitude like the Apostle Paul. We don't want to accept less than what we're due. No, we're not appreciative for what we have and, and times where they're high. It doesn't, no, no, no. We've exchanged the biblical attitude for this misplaced attitude that says, I better be getting everything I'm due and I better be getting everything I think I need to have. And then we whine and we complain and we grumble and we're ungrateful. And then we have the audacity to say, God, why don't I have your peace? We're not doing what he said to do. What are you doing? Okay. And so this is the question. How does the enemy get us to do this? We know this. How many times do we quote this passage? I mean, we got bumper stickers. We got t-shirts, especially this one. Come on. How does the enemy get us Christians to do this, to, to have this attitude? Like, we demand the way that life goes the way our way, and we've got to have what we want, and we think we need. Here's the first way we're going to deal with today, okay? And uh, that's unrealistic expectations, huh? Remember that song? We're off to eat some gizzards. We got, no, I'm sorry. We're off to see the wizard, right? That's the Kansas version. But anybody ever eat gizzards? Yes. Praise God, you're still breathing, right? But uh, anyway, but right, we're off to see, you know, the yellow brick road, life's going to be great. And then it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Right? But you think it is. You demand it's got to be. It's the yellow brick road. It's an unrealistic expectation. It leads to heartache. And the reason why that's such a big issue today isn't just because of that movie, okay? As we saw last week, we live in one of the most selfish, self-centered, egotistical generations this world has ever seen because of this lie being promoted, self-love, self-esteem, okay? But I'm telling you, this has uh, uh, went into another stage, another attitude, because it's been pumped into people's brains for so long. It's now produced these unrealistic expectations that people have in life, okay? We have another term for it. It's called entitlement. Is that rampant today? That you deserve to have a perfect life and you don't have to work for it and somebody has to give it to you, right? This is where it comes from. In fact, I've shared this uh, on Wednesday nights, but listen to this. How many of you guys remember that story, The Ant and the Grasshopper? Remember the classic version? You gotta work to eat and all that stuff, right? Okay, well, that's the classic version I'm gonna share with you. I'm gonna share with you the new version. 
all right, and see if it sounds familiar. But the classic version goes like this. The ant works hard at, uh, uh, in the withering heat all uh, summer long. He's building his house. He's laying up supplies for the winter. And the grasshopper, he thinks he's a fool. And he laughs and he dances. He plays the summer away. And, and come winter, the ant is warm and well-fed. And uh, the grasshopper, he has no food and shelter, so he dies out in the cold, right? Remember that? Remember the cartoons and all that stuff and the stories? Remember that thing? Okay, that's the classic version. Here's the new version. The ant works hard in the withering heat all summer long. He's building his house. He's laying up supplies for the winter. The, the grasshopper thinks he's a fool, and he laughs, and he dances and plays the summer away. And come winter, the shivering grasshopper calls a press conference, and he demands to know why the ant should be allowed to be warm and well-fed while others, less fortunate, are cold and starving. So the national news shows up to provide pictures of the shivering grasshopper next to the video of an ant who's in his comfortable home with a table filled with food. The nation is stunned at the sharp contrast. How can this be that a country of such wealth that this poor grasshopper is allowed to suffer so? The opposition party stages a demonstration in front of the ant's house where the news stations film the group singing, We Shall Overcome. The local member of the government rants in an interview with celebrity news reporter that the ant has gotten rich off the backs of the grasshoppers and he calls for an immediate tax hike on the ant to make him pay his fair share. And finally, the government drafts the Economic Equity and Anti-Grasshopper Act retroactive to the beginning of the summer. The ant is fined for failing to hire green bugs and for help uh, and, and having nothing left to pay his retroactive taxes. His home is now confiscated by the government. The story ends as we see the grasshopper finishing up the last bits of the ant's food while the government house he's in, which happens to be the ant's old house, uh, crumbles around him because he doesn't maintain it. This ant has disappeared in the snow. The grasshopper is found dead in a drug-related incident, and the house... <laughs> and the house is abandoned and is taken over by a gang of spiders who terrorize the once peaceful neighborhood. <laughs> now, does that sound familiar or what? Right? This is that entitlement attitude, this unrealistic expectation that I can get something for nothing. You owe it to me. Right? It comes from this selfish, self-centered thing, right? Okay? And, and, and it's all about me, myself, and I. And I got to have, if I'm going to have peace, and if I'm going to have a fulfilling life, I have to have what everybody else has at all costs, even if I don't have to do squat. This is what this selfish, self-centered, self-love, self-self-self produces. Okay? It's not being grateful for what you got. It's not being hello, like the scripture says. You got to work. You want to eat? Work. Right? Have something to share with other people. Of course we share. But you got to work and appreciate what God provides for you, okay? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, okay? But now it's gotten even worse. First, it was that self-love, center of the universe, I just announced this entitlement and you owe me. Now it's moved into stage two, okay? And this is where it's getting really damaging. And people not only think that they have to have and you have to have and you have to guarantee off the backs of somebody else all the things they think they need to have in life, this entitlement attitude. Now it's literally this. You owe me a perfect life. I'm not talking just, okay, that's kind of nice. Thank you for that. I'm talking a perfect life. Okay, and I mean one without pain, without harm, without any lack, without anything negative whatsoever because it's all about me, myself, and I at all times, and you better give it to me. Now, number one, hell, that's unrealistic, let alone unbiblical, okay? It's the ultimate pipe dream. I mean, what Bible are you reading if you're even reading the Bible at all? Read the scripture, man, Old Testament, New Testament. Okay, you're going to have problems in life. Can anybody vouch for that? Hey, the rest of you didn't raise your hands. Be of good courage. It's coming next week. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. You can do all things through Christ. Right? You're going to have pain. Read the scripture, right? You're going to have trials. You're going to end up in prison sometime. Your circumstance is going to feel like you're in a prison. Oh. 
They're going to have to go without. They're going to have to eat beans once in a while. Why? Because this isn't heaven. Turn to somebody and say that. This is not heaven. We've got to get that drill. This is not heaven. All right, now follow it up with this. Heaven comes later. Right? We're not there yet. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. In fact, Jesus said it gets even worse than that. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they nailed me to a cross and hated my guts for preaching the truth, guess what? Hey, welcome to the club. Woo! Welcome to being a disciple of Jesus. Guess what? Your life, Christian, is not going to be perfect, especially if you live for Jesus, this side of heaven. So get rid of this unrealistic expectation, okay? And, but the Bible says, you know, God, again, he's good to us. He, he doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. We don't say, life is hard, and, this, and heaven's coming, hopefully sooner than later, right? We don't just, no, God gives us something to do in order to maintain his peace in the midst of those times. And this is what I'm telling you. It sounds so basic. Um, you pray. What? Is that mind-blowing or what? Yeah. Why? Because how many times do we got to read this? And we're just like, hello, McFly, right? We, it's right here. Why do we go somewhere else? It's right here. I didn't say uh, Paul did. Before he says, I got content. Guess what he was doing in prison? Guess what was leading up to that contentment? Verses 6 and 7. Listen to what Paul says. Do not be, what? Anxious about some things. Anything. Do you realize that God just gave us divine permission Christian, from this day forward, you don't have to be anxious about anything ever once again for the rest of your existence this side of heaven. Isn't that wonderful news? Is anybody glad about that? You don't get that in the newspaper. Hello, you get that in the Bible. Don't be anxious. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. <laughs> okay, but here's all you do. If you want to have that, here's all you got to do. But in how much? Everything. Not just the really bad times everything you just go to god in prayer and petition with thanksgiving be grateful for what he's already provided for you even that being present your request to god here's the payoff and the what peace of god which transcends all understanding will literally guard guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus it ain't going nowhere man it's stuck there right absolutely phenomenal bible not only presupposes we're going to have some hard times because otherwise why did it say don't be anxious so once again you're going to have some hard times but more importantly it tells us what to do when not if these hard times come in life we just pray we present our request to god okay and then he says okay here you go enjoy my peace as you trust him yay isn't that is, it, it almost sounds so simplistic like are you serious that's all yeah if you just do it to everything and you get into that knee-jerk reaction, and you learn to be content, have peace. Isn't that awesome? Because, listen, here's the crux of the, the study today. The peace of God comes not when I get what I want from God, because sometimes you're not. Oh, he knows how to take care of you. Did you know that God will always give you what you need, but not necessarily what you want? And that's where the confusion comes in on our part. The peace of God comes not when you get what you want from God. The peace of God comes when I cast my burdens over to God. In prayer. Thank you, God. You're going to work this baby out. You get consumed with God. Because when you pray to God about everything, where's your focus? Where's your mindset? Who are you consumed with at that time? Is it your problems? Is it your pains? Your circumstances? Is it your petition? No, it's God. And when you're consumed with God, all that stuff just goes away. 
You don't have to have answer right away. You don't have to have provision right away. That doesn't matter anymore. You're now consumed with God. And you have his peace. Now, we talked about this before. It's really cool. The word here in the Greek for anxious is merimanao. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 for worry. Do not worry about your life, Matthew 6. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. And merimanao literally means consumed with self. Now, that's an eye-opener, isn't it? Because when is it that we worry, even as a Christian? When is it we get anxious, even as a Christian? It's when we're consumed with our self. The very thing that society thinks that life's all about you. The antithesis of maintaining God's peace. We worry, we get anxious when we merimanao, when we're consumed about ourselves, our situation, our feelings, our likes, our dislikes, our entitlements, what we think we're due. You'll worry, you'll get anxious every single time. But God says, no, don't do that. You get consumed, not with yourself, not with your situation, not with your high time, low time, whatever time. You get consumed with me. You pray, you trust me, and I'm going to give you supernatural peace. It doesn't even make sense in your brain. And that's all you got to do. We cast them over to God. Now, the problem is the world's in there, once again, trying to offer a false methodology. And instead of doing something as simplistic and it costs zero other than time, i.e. pray to God, the world gets you and I to think when we get frantic that somehow we can get that peace back if we go and do something, i.e. a quick fix. And there's all kinds of methodologies out there, right? I mean, it's just, it's just sure, it's too simplistic. Are you serious? Just pray? What? It's got to be harder than that. And so the world's out there, they're cashing in on, right? Well, here's what you need to do, or you need to do this. Need to, no. And one of the biggest ones, of course, they say that, you know, when tough times come, don't pray. Don't go to get consumed with God in prayer. No, no, pop a pill. Uh, go to a medicine cabinet looking for some pseudo peace. Okay, uh, uh, find some methodology that somehow can take it all away. And again, before I go any further, I'm not one of those guys who's against medications and doctors or any of that stuff. I don't know about you, but I really appreciate those guys uh, when you break your leg and uh, they don't set it there without medication. Anybody agree? Right? When you're sitting on the surgery table and they're getting ready to rip your heart open, uh, I'm glad that they put something in that tube first. Right? <laughs> Me personally. Okay, so I'm not against all medication, things of that nature, okay? Uh, when troubles come, okay? I'm, uh, legitimate issues, okay? But when normal everyday trials do come, maybe you're feeling tired, maybe you had an emotional letdown, maybe something didn't go the way you wanted to, maybe you're in a prison of circumstances instead of that knee jerk reaction, go to God, pray, receive His peace. We've been trained like a bunch of monkeys to go for that quick fix. That not only comes at a price, but if you read the labels on those quick fixes, it causes more trouble. Have you noticed that? We've talked about that several times generally, but I couldn't wait this Sunday to talk about a couple examples specifically. You know all those so-called uh, miracle pills to fix all your problems in life? And I mean every problem, whether it be a toe. Uh, 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 how many guys realize that your life, you are entitled to a clean toe? <laughs> See, you think I'm kidding. But that is one of the things that people out there uh, that you can do. If you pop this pill, it'll give you a clean toe, okay, right? Because the, and then that's how you're going to have peace because you've got clean toes walking around in life, okay? Now, let's take a look at this. Uh, this is the actual one. This is, I'm not making this up. These are actual uh, medications. They're Lamisil, and it treats toenail fungus, right? Because you can't have a fulfilling life if you've got toenail fungus, right? Now, I'm not making this up. This is all the side effects, 
that it includes, okay? I'm not making this up. Uh, severe liver damage that leads to death. Upset stomach that doesn't go away. Changes or loss in taste. Yellowing of the eyes or skin. Severe rash on the skin. Extreme fatigue. Uh, depression or changes in mood. Chest pain. Irregular heartbeat. Fever, sore throat. Other signs of infection. Diarrhea. And that's right, vomiting. Bobby, look at this dude. Dude, my toe, it's clean. It's clean. It's... Oh, my. It's out. Bathroom. Bathroom. I got a clean toe. I'm at peace. Are you kidding me? Right? I'm not making this up. This is a real one out there. Right? Oh, there, here's another, I'm going to give you another one. Okay. Uh, much better, apparently, than praying to God. Okay. Uh, this one is another drug that's out there. I'm not making it up. Uh, this one is a Chantex. And this is supposed, I don't know if you've seen these commercials, supposed to uh, treat the smoking urges. Okay. I'm not making it up. This is the actual side effect. Some of them. Okay. And they admit it on the commercial. Now, notice as they are some serious side effects. They always trick you into, don't listen, don't listen. We have to put this here as a disclaimer so you won't sue us to death, okay? But they always play this, these people are happy, and they got this music in the background, so you'll be distracted, don't listen. But listen to the side effects, right? Watch this. Talk to your doctor about Chantix and a support plan that's right for you. Some people have had changes in behavior, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, and suicidal thoughts or actions while taking or after stopping Chantix. If you notice agitation, hostility, depression, or changes in behavior, thinking, or mood that are not typical for you, or if you develop suicidal thoughts or actions, stop taking Chantix and call your doctor right away. Talk to your doctor about any history of depression or other mental health problems, which can get worse while taking Chantix. Some people can have allergic or serious skin reactions to Chantix, some of which can be life-threatening. If you notice swelling of face, mouth, throat, or a rash, stop taking Chantix and see your doctor right away. The most common side effect is nausea. Patients also reported trouble sleeping and vivid, unusual, or strange dreams. Until you know how Chantix may affect you, use caution when driving or operating machinery. Now, folks, let's be honest. How many guys, just if you were to read that list of side effects, would probably cause you to start smoking? What? Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, it causes <laughs> changes in behavior, hostility, aggression, suicidal thoughts, suicidal actions, mental health problems, severe skin allergic reactions uh, that are life-threatening, swelling of the face, mouth, throat, rash, a constipation, flatulence, oh yeah, vomiting, insomnia, and unusual psychotic dreams. But you maybe might not smoke as much. What? Let me give you one more, because it's not just adults, man. It's teenagers too, okay? Uh, because in order, apparently... To have a peaceful life, you got to be free of pimples, all right? Oh, preacher's going meddling now. Okay. Don't be looking, all right? But you know it's true. I'm not, I, could, I could not believe this one, okay? No wonder it's hard to raise teenagers if they're taking this stuff, okay? Accutane, okay? This is supposed to treat acne, right? <laughs> Listen to this, man. Here's the side effects. Wow. Depressed mood, trouble concentrating, sleep problems, crying spells, aggression or agitation, changes in behavior, hallucinations, thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself, sun, numbness or weakness, especially on one side of the body, blurred vision, sudden severe headache and pain behind your eyes, sometimes with vomiting, uh, hearing problems, hearing loss, ringing in your ears, seizures, convulsions, severe pain in your upper stomach, spreading to your back, nausea or even more vomiting, uh, fast heart rate, loss of appetite, dark urine, jaundice, yelling at the skin of the eyes, severe diarrhea, fever, chills, body aches, flu-like symptoms, purple spots under your skin, and joint stiffness, bone pain, or fracture. Woohoo! Some parents right now, you're weeping because you're going, that's why it was so hard. 
They took Accutane. I'm going to warn my grandkids. <laughs> no. What? You're okay, so you got a few less pimples. Wow. What did you gain? Folks, again, I'll say it again. I'm not against a medication. I'm not against a genuine need, surgery, or chemical needs, things like that. I'm not against that. But excuse me, can I, can I drop the bomb on you? Did you know that Jesus never promised you to have clean toes? Or no pimples. Can, 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 we, can we agree on that? But see, this is the world. Oh, I just, I can't, I can't, if I don't get rid of this, if I don't get rid of it, I can't have it. No, it's not. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm at peace. The attitude gets even worse. I think that this has gone on so long now, it's starting to spill over into other areas, causing destruction. Not just liver damage and psychotic dreams. But this attitude is all about, I got to have it, I got to have it. I mean, I have to have a perfect life, not one with any blemish, any problem whatsoever. And this attitude is now spilling over into other areas. Like, hey, if you don't like your looks, period, and you need a quick fix, it's way beyond just acne. Here's what you do. You buy Botox, uh, you get uh, uh, some makeup, or you do a facelift, right? You got to it costs. Hey, you don't like your body? You need a quick fix because, remember, it's all about you, your self-fulfillment. You can't have peace the way you are. No! You got to buy a diet. You got to go get liposuction. You got to, hey, if you don't like your spouse, they get on your nerves. You need a quick fix. Go buy a divorce. Dump them. Go get yourself another one. Hey, you know what? Your kids, you sick and tired of your kids. You can't, hey, hey, especially the kids that are in the womb that are what? That are going to interfere with your personal fulfillment. What are people doing today? You buy an abortion, and you kill your kid. Because I deserve a perfect life. And if anything gets in my way, you're going to pay a price. Where do you think all this is coming from? God's way isn't just the right way. It's not just the best way. It's the only way that leads to life and peace. Jesus' birth, a little side detour, I've got to throw this in there though. Can you imagine if Joseph and Mary had the same attitude that I hear even some Christians, quote unquote, have today about abortion? If Joseph and Mary had that same attitude when he discovered that she was pregnant and it wasn't his child. We wouldn't have a Messiah. God has purpose and value in all things. And if you don't want the child, you trust him. You give it to a bunch of other people. I got family members who would love to have a baby. You don't need to kill him, okay? But this is that attitude, okay? You don't need to pop a pill. You don't need to take a life. Just do what God says to do when you encounter problems. You pray. You pray and you get consumed with Jesus. And something supernatural begins to happen. All of a sudden, poof. It goes away. The anxiety, the worry, and he takes care of the situation. Like he did with these ladies when they got consumed with Jesus. Watch this. This is cool. A woman's faith helps catch a home invasion suspect. Police arrested 24-year-old Derek Lee after they say he tried to rob a group of 15 women who were at a jewelry party. The women say Lee left after the group started chanting the name Jesus. Channel 4's Tark Minor has the wild story from Lake City.
I've just always believed in God's Word, and He says that He's there to protect us in times of trouble. Jackie Hagler put her faith into action Friday night when police say armed robber Derek Lee broke into her house wearing a ski mask and a bandana. Hagler says 15 women gathered for a jewelry party, and Lee walked in through an open door. When he threatened to shoot, Hagler says she proclaimed something else. I just stood up and I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of my house now. And he said, I'm going to shoot someone. And I said it again real boldly. I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of my house. And everybody started chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He just did a quick scan of the room, turned around, and ran out the door as fast as he could go. Wow. You know, that should be in the Bible somewhere. I mean, you, you, let me get you, something happened in your life that you didn't plan. Something invaded it, you know, at your jewelry party. And, but all of a sudden you became consumed with Jesus, trusted him, chanted his name, became consumed with him. And your problem went away? What's going on here? Wow. But you might be a guy like I was thinking today. I said, oh, hey, wait a second, wait a second. Ron, you might be thinking this. Maybe that robber left because there were so many ladies in that room and he was kind of intimidated walking into a jewelry party. Ugh. That's like those Tupperware parties. You ever accidentally walk into one of those? Ugh, you make you wash your hands, right? Disinfectant, I my eyes, right? And granted, you know, that kind of girl stuff is intimidating to any red-blooded American male, but okay. I, I, but I think that's not why he left. Okay? You see, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ to fix all things, not just for a group of Christian ladies, but even for the individual. Watch what this lady did. She got consumed with Jesus, too. Frisco, Texas. Sometimes you don't have a weapon for fighting back. And when an armed robber bursts through her door, shop owner Marion Chadwick thinks she doesn't have a prayer. He comes to the counter with his gun and he taps on it and he says, this is a robbery, I want your money. With a loaded gun just inches from her face, Marion calmly retaliates using the power of the pulpit. You get out of my store right now in the name of Jesus. I planted my feet, pointed my finger in his face and I said, in the name of Jesus, you get out of my store. Though she's a hair trigger from being blown to smithereens, Marion relies on a higher firepower. You get out of my store right now in the name of Jesus. That was my weapon, that I had one shot. The thief reels from the biblical assault. He backed up, and he kept backing up until he got to the front door, and then he took off. Marion may not have saved the robber's soul, but using the word definitely saved her life. In the name of Jesus. Wow. Chris, do you think that's in there? Maybe if we turn the page, we'll come across that too. She used the word, and it saved her life. Why? Because Jesus is all you need. He's God. And there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him. Him who strengthens me. And when I focus on Jesus and who he is, man, I get consumed with that. Woo! You're going to have some serious peace. Okay?
Because this is what the scripture says about Jesus. He's our advocate. He's the almighty God, the alpha, the omega, the anointed one. And he's the author of our salvation. He's the beginning, the end, the begotten, the beloved, the bread of life, the bright and morning star. He's the captain of our salvation, the chief cornerstone, the chosen of God, the Christ, the comforter, and the creator of all things. He's our deliverer, the door of the sheep, Emmanuel, the end of the law, the eternal judge, the first and last, and the faithful and the true. He is the God of Abraham, the good shepherd, the great I am, the healer, the heir of all things. And he is Jehovah. He is the judge of the quick and the dead. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of the Jews, and he's king of the world. He's the light of the world, the lamb of God, the life of all, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the living stone, the living bread, the living water, the Lord of heaven. He's the Messiah, the mighty one, the maker of all. He is the master of the universe. He's the offspring of David, the only begotten, the great physician, the power of God, and he is the prince of peace. He's the ultimate rabbi, the redeemer, the revealer of all, the resurrection, the life. He's the righteous judge, the rock of salvation, the root of Jesse, and the savior of the world. He is the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, who crushed the head of the serpent. He is the son of God, the son of glory. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the father except through him. That's why he's so wonderful. He is mine. I am his. And that's why I'm at peace. Because he's all I need. And when I pray to him, when hard times come, and I get consumed with him and who he is, Folks, we may not have a robber walking in through the door every single day of our business or our home. But every day we have things that invade our reality that try to rob us of God's peace. Do we not? The methodology is still the same. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got Jesus, man. Nobody's bigger than him. He loves me. I'm his child. He knows how to take care of me, right? I got peace. Which means I, I don't have to listen to this world. I don't have to fall for this lie. I don't have to have a perfect life to experience God's peace. I don't have to have all these entitlements that everybody says I have to have. I don't have. I got Jesus. I don't have to have perfect looks. I don't have to have perfect provision or a perfect body or a perfect job, a perfect spouse or family or kids. I got Jesus. And he's all I need. I'm content. Much better than the baloney the world throws at us. Amen? True peace does not come when I get what I want from God. True peace comes when I cast my burdens over to God in prayer and get consumed with Jesus. That's when you're set free. That's when you experience his peace. And that's when he gives you that amazing life worth living for. In a peaceless world, leading souls to him, leading them to Jesus. Let's be that church, amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this 
dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. 
Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.